Hi there, Subterraneans listeners. I wanted to take a second at the start of the show to thank you for all the amazing support you've given me throughout season one of this podcast. I'm going to be on hiatus for a while after episode five to get a chance to regroup and figure out exactly what's next for the show. If you've enjoyed it so far, please follow me on Twitter at Subtopod or subscribe via iTunes or another app since I'll be posting updates in both places. Also, if you could please keep sharing the show on social media and telling your friends about it, I'd really appreciate that. Subterraneans is a one-person production, currently sitting at around 20,000 words on a Google document, but it's the kindness and support of everyone who's listened which has pushed me to finish what I started here. That's all I have to say for now, but I'll keep you posted on what comes next as it's ready. I hope you enjoy the finale of Subterraneans Season 1. Running northeast from Allgate Square is a street called Houndstitch, which stretches about 400 metres towards Bishopsgate. The old Roman wall used to run parallel to it, connecting the Allgate with the Bishopsgate, above which the heads of criminals used to be prominently displayed on spikes as a warning to 'er ne'er-do-wells as they entered. Houndstitch these days is pretty much just an extension of the city's financial district, given its proximity to the Gherkin and the Leadenhall building. But this wasn't always the case. Traditionally, the street was a mass of lean-tos and shacks clustered just outside of the city walls, full of outcasts, beggars and thieves, making a living in one of the most squalid spots in medieval England. Which brings us to the name. Outside the city walls, great trenches have been dug in the 13th century, first as a defensive mechanism and then later used as a rubbish dump for the city. Houndsditch was the worst of these, filled as it was with human filth, rotting food, and the original source of its name. Like just about every civilization prior to the formalization of street cleaning and centralized amenities, London had a large population of stray dogs. Down on their luck folks were paid by local businesses to catch them, and they were normally then killed and dumped in the trenches outside the city walls. Houndsditch got its name from the mountain of dead dogs which rotted within it, the streets and houses nearby constantly afflicted with the smell of decay. To this day, builders in the area still unearth piles of canine bones when excavating nearby. And beneath all of that, the Allgate Cavern awaits, ready to claim its next victim. I'm James Thompson. This is Subterraneans. Gayatri Chakravarti Spivak is a literary theorist best known for her 1988 essay, Can the Subaltern Speak? In it, she addresses the idea of the subaltern, loosely speaking the poor, oppressed and disenfranchised on the very bottom rung of global imperialism, and whether they can meaningfully speak to the systems of power which oppress them. She argues that the creation of knowledge always overrides the voice of the oppressed, even when it attempts to speak on their behalf. 
to try to simplify what is a very dense and complex argument, and one which, in fairness, should absolutely not be simplified. The most oppressed people alive today are so entirely cut off from power that even their own voices and experiences can only be heard through the lens of visiting academics and people from outside their communities who come in to report on what they're doing. If you don't have a book deal or a camera crew, your only chance to speak to power comes from someone else choosing to tell your story for you, and therefore imposing their own narrative on your life. The subaltern cannot meaningfully communicate with their oppressors, because the language, written or visual, which would allow them to do so, is riddled with loaded phrases which have their own value judgments attached to them. This is how we end up with words like folklore and mysticism and even religion, all concepts which are a tough fit for the myriad practices that people make use of worldwide to create knowledge and to understand their own lives. Sorry, that's a lot to start a podcast episode with, I know. It's important, though. I promised that I'd return to the Allgate Cavern this episode and see how it connects to the rest of the city, and I've been working up to that all week. I'm recording this in advance of my trip to the Prince on Wormwood Street, getting my house in order, in case anything happens while I'm down there. For me, that means knowing my enemy, and knowing what people did to survive there in years past. Surviving in medieval Houndsditch was a constant battle against some of the most challenging man-made conditions in history. Disease was rife, and the smell was constant. The people who lived in Houndsditch were the poorest and most vulnerable members of society, living as scavengers amongst the putrefying waste of the city. This outsider space, running along the eastern boundary of the city, has always been a melting pot of travellers and vagrants from distant lands, even before it formalised into the collection of more established migrant communities that you started to see in the 1700s. We now think of East London in terms of these fixed but porous diaspora religious communities – Irish Catholics, Ashkenazi Jews, Bangladeshi Muslims, and so on. But the no-man's land running from Houndsditch outwards has always been the breaking point for the wave of religious practice, as it rebounds against the strict religious homogeneity of the city walls. If you take a liminal zone like this, full of outcasts and survivors, and the remains of whatever religious practice they can recall from their distant homes, and add the necessary cross-contamination of belief which comes when poor communities have to rely on each other to survive, you end up with something new and distinct. A system of practices and beliefs which blurs together and adds to the strictures of contemporary religions sits at the foundation of what we now consider the modern East End. Dating back to the 1400s, there are reports of witchcraft in East London. These reports mostly exist in the records of the mainstream church, diligent record keepers as they were, and so they should be treated with a degree of scepticism. Nonetheless, it's clear that the witchcraft practiced in the shadow of the city was distinct from the normal image of the rural witch crouched over a cauldron in the forest. These witches were fortune tellers, spirit whisperers and healers, working itinerantly in the margins of all of the many and varied spiritual practices which existed there. I should state unambiguously at this point that what I'm talking about here isn't Islamic Sufism or Jewish Kabbalah 
or the remnants of English nonconformist paganism. It's something distinct, which was clearly nevertheless influenced by elements of all of the above, and more. These practices were very strongly focused on the idea of the city itself as an incarnate spirit, in the mould of the trickster gods which predate monotheism. This living being both walked among us and, in a sense, was us, capable of speaking and acting through humans or animals as easily as we might choose which arm to use when reaching for a glass. This idea of a god who is physically present at all times, but whose acts largely manifest through the random actions of independent people, results in a spirituality based on manipulating those acts, and the city itself to communicate intention. The spiritual practice of the East End was a sort of folk architecture. Practitioners would advise market traders on how to arrange their stalls and make interventions in the street layouts, planting trees or realigning roads to alter the fate of the city and, inevitably, its inhabitants. Remnants of these folk practices remain to this day in unexpected places. White Kennet Street, for example, runs parallel to Houndstitch and is named after a 17th century English bishop. But there's a staggered line of five trees along it, which is said to have been originally planted by witches in the 1500s. The trees themselves have since been replaced and replanted dozens of times, such is the way of trees in the city, since people do tend to drive their cars into them. But the story goes that they represent five siblings, who each travelled to London to seek their fortune. The first perished in a plague. The second was killed by bandits. The third was hanged for theft. The fourth drowned in the river. But the fifth and youngest sibling, represented by the tree which sits slightly back from the others, turned to the spirit of the city for guidance. She did this by vowing to walk the circumference of London as it then stood, tracing an exact semicircle around the city, starting from that spot in East London. As she walked, the streets and roadways curved and bent according to her footsteps, forming unnatural and confusing twists which snapped back to normal after she had passed by. She continued until she reached the river in the west. There, she stepped into the river, and, sustained only by the strength of her belief, she walked underwater along the riverbed, resurfacing again in modern Lambeth, before continuing her walk. When she reached the river again by Bermondsey, she did it again, this time with a crowd of onlookers who had followed her. Upon completing this circular route, the spirit of the city appeared before her in a vision and gave her the choice. Either she could resurrect her four siblings at the cost of her own life, or she could be granted immortality in exchange for damning them to eternal purgatory beneath the city. This story doesn't have a happy ending. Entranced by the offer of power, she cursed the names of her siblings and gained eternal life. The city had tricked her though, and she was doomed to walk the exact same circular path forever, round and round, until the end of time. Legend has it that she continues to walk in an exact circle to this day, 
reshaping the streets and paths around her as she goes. Her name is lost to time, but if you ever find yourself turned around in the city, crouch down to the pavement and tap on it five times. This will cause her to hurry her step, snapping the streets back to normal behind her and allowing you to get your bearings. I can't stop thinking about my great uncle Jason and the sounds he used to hear rising up from the darkness when he ran the caverns. He would wear earplugs to drown them out and I remember him telling me it was mostly a scrabbling, scratching sound and a sense of something being nearby despite the vast underground space making that impossible. He said it mostly only happened when he was deep inside the tunnels moving a significant amount of money but the last time I saw him, he had a haunted look, distracted, his eyes dancing around the flat like they were searching for something. He kept talking about works taking place on the roof, a uh, constant scraping and crashing, but we checked and nothing was going on up there. He did most of his work in the old stomping ground of the East End Witches, and the Allgate Cavern is exactly the type of architectural intervention in the city's business that they would make to help the unfortunates eking out a living on Houndsditch. Jason wasn't helping the poor and needy, though. He rent the city asunder for strictly private gain, which he then used to push his own bigoted agenda. If you're able to make deals with London Incarnate, that's the type of deal which must have had quite a hefty price tag attached to the back of it. I suppose it must have caught up to him in the end. It might not always seem it, but the stories I've been telling on this podcast are intensely personal to me. It doesn't feel as much a research project as an excavation, sorting through the streets and alleys of my life and trying to make sense of them, to turn them into a story I can cling to like a life raft. I feel personally connected to everyone I've mentioned so far, even the monsters and the crooks who I know we've got to leave behind. The city is something we all made up together, a shared hallucination, a physical manifestation of a belief system and all that it tries to repress. The French situationists' famous motto was, beneath the pavement, the beach. But I keep finding that beneath the pavement, there's only us, sandwiched and stratified between layers upon layers of London clay. I worry that I'm digging up something that isn't mine to share. There's something lurking on the edge of our vision, outside of what we can see and understand, outside whatever systems of knowledge we use to make sense of the world, outside of my stories and my strategic history. It's following us, just as it followed my uncle 20 stories high to his Petticoat Lane flat. It refuses to be repressed. And I think it's learning to speak. Alright, enough of this. I'm going to stop recording here and head over to Wormwood Street to try the door in the basement and see what I can find. I'm bringing my phone to record on, so I apologise if the audio quality drops a little. Wish me luck. A 
Okay, I'm standing in the bathroom of the Prince on Wormwood Street. Uh, it's a uh, Wednesday night, so it's fairly quiet, but there's quite a few people in, comparatively. Uh, I'm going to head straight in and down the stairs. I'll try to keep recording as long as possible. see that it's unlocked. I'm going to head straight in. Alright, um, I'll prop the door behind me. I'm standing in front of a long bridge. God, it's incredibly dark down here. But can you hear that? Ah, oh, god damn it. Oh, for goodness sake. <sighs> okay, the door slammed shut behind me. Uh, there's water running somewhere beneath me. Uh, I'm just going to turn the light on on my phone. I cannot see a goddamn thing. Let me just... Okay. Um, let me describe what I can see. Uh, I'm standing on a suspension bridge. It looks like the ones my uncle described, though I think it's a little sturdier than I'd imagined. It's, I can, okay, there's a line of lights along one side, hanging off a pneumatic pipe tube. The thing that's different, the thing that's weirding me out, you can probably hear it, the entire place is flooded. Like, the, the, the lattice kind of work that I'm standing on, um, it's like lapping up over the sides. Um, it's not quite, I'm like, my feet aren't wet, but this entire place seems to be full of water, like as far as I can see, which isn't very far. My light, the light on this phone, it doesn't reach that far. Uh, the door behind me is, hang on, let me, nope, that's not moving. Um, I guess I've only really got one direction I can go. I'm gonna try and walk in a straight line. I mean, it only goes in one direction. So hopefully uh, I can get to the other end of whatever this one connects to and find a way out there. If not, I'll just head back. I'll try and record for as long as I can. But uh, yeah, we'll see how this goes. Okay, I'm going to start walking now. Oh, hang on, let me try something. So I have a GPS on my phone, obviously. Uh, let me just check on Google Maps and see where it says I am exactly. I mean, obviously I know I'm just under the pub, but I just wanna like 
figure out what direction I'm facing because I came down a big staircase. Um, okay. Okay, according to this, I'm somewhere off the coast of Cameroon. So I guess that's a bust. Um, Alright, like I say, I'll keep recording for as long as I possibly can, but I'm going to keep an eye on my battery to make sure it doesn't run out. And then hopefully I'll try to describe things as I go and hopefully this can help to serve as like a record. Okay, uh, I've been walking for 20 minutes, I guess. Hopefully you could hear all of that, although obviously I assume I'll edit it down when I release this. Um, I've come to a fork in the path. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've been going straight southeast, but it's kind of impossible to tell. That's just my hunch based on the direction I think I was facing when I left the pub. Uh, I can either go left, which should take me east, or right, which will take me uh, more more sort of in a westerly kind of direction, like towards like the heart of the city, the, the city itself, you know, in, into the square mile, I guess, which I think I'm outside of right now. Um, anyway, all I've been able to think about is how terrifying this place must have been to go through by yourself like the first time. Uh, I wasn't expecting the sound of water beneath me, but there's... I swear I can hear something in the distance. I don't know if my phone will even pick that up, but I swear there is something here. Um, I keep completely losing my train of thought and just find... I think I'm down near Mansion House, I'm guessing, but that doesn't make any sense because I should have passed about four or five entrances so far and I haven't seen a, I haven't seen a goddamn thing. There's like nothing down here except for endless of these, these, these pathways, which I'm just taking a break. And I mean, according to the timer on, on this recording, I've been going for six hours so far. I, I know they're like much longer underground than it is above ground. I know that was the whole thing, you know, but like just based on my memory of the map, it was really, really clear. I should have passed like five different entrances by now and there's just been nothing, just absolutely nothing but water in every direction. I've got to keep going, I guess. I'll I'll leave this running. The good thing is my battery seems to be good. So hopefully that'll survive a little longer. Okay, something bizarre is happening because I just... I walked for another... I guess 10 minutes, I thought, and I would, you know, pull my phone out and, you know, check in, let you know what I can see, which by the way is nothing, no entrances, nothing, um, and according to the recorder on my phone, I've been recording 
for three days. I didn't even know the numbers. I mean, yeah, that's, so that's 67 hours of audio recording according to this. I, my phone doesn't even have that level of capacity and my battery isn't running out and I don't know where I am and I can't see anything except for in every single direction just water as far as the eye can see and I do not know what's happening and I'm scared to stop the recording now because if I stop it then I will lose all ability to tell what time it is and how long I've been down here and I don't know where I am and I don't know where I'm going I don't know